one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is this marvelous message that we call grace. That we can come into church today and know that even in this past week, there are some things that perhaps didn't honor God. And we come and we say, here are my sins. Will you take them? And he says, I will and cast them as far as east is from the west. And we recommit ourselves and he's ready to go with us again. And I think that this time of New Year, when you think about it, to have a specific time when you stop and remember that there are some things in the past you want to bring into the future and some things that you simply want to leave behind. I think it's a wonderful celebration. And today I want to think about perhaps a new pattern of life that we want to carry into the future. Uh, and, And that's why I wanted to talk with Tiffany about that. Because the issue I want to talk with you about, what I want to focus on today is the issue that I think in my four and a half years here in California has been brought to me as pastor more often than any other. In different ways, people have come to me and and said something like this. "Uh, Pastor Greg, I want to talk with you or have you pray with me because I just feel like, and the way it's put, I feel like life is just out of control. I mean, here in Southern California, almost nobody could ever believe that. You know, our warm sunshine and our beauty and our entertainment industry, this is where everybody is laid back and relaxed, right? So why is it that so many people during my time here have come and said, well, my life just feels stressed out or strung out or wrung out or burned out or uh, worn out, all these outs. Uh, So last week, I feel like I might have piled more stress on some of you. If if you weren't here, I, I talked about the fact that we're made in God's image and God introduces himself as a God who worked and enjoyed what he did and he made us in his image so that we sense satisfaction and fulfillment when our lives really count, when when we engage in the work he has given to us. And I've gotten more positive comments about that last message than, than usually I receive. So I know many affirm that, but I also want to say I've perhaps gotten more pushback. I mean, the the kind of comment that I got was something like this. Pastor Greg, I know that you are right about that. But why is it that my workplace is the very place that causes me so much stress? Now, help me to understand that. If my work is supposed to be joy, why is it that what's happening there, either the way I relate to my boss or that I don't have any work, why is it that the workplace seems to cause so much stress? Anybody connect to that? Um, and, and, and what has happened to the workplace here in the United States? I, I remember with, with my father, we always talked about the 40-hour work week. I mean, who talks about a 40-hour work week anymore? I, I think back to the way it was when I was a child, and, and my family sort of instilled just a rhythm of life, a, a pattern of life. I want to describe it to you and see if anybody here can even relate to this whatsoever. Um, My mother and father both got up fairly early and had devotions. Then we had breakfast. Uh, Then they went off to work. My mom stayed at home until we were out of the, uh, went to school ourselves. And then they both went to work and worked eight hours. and, And we as children went to school. Then we all came back in the evening. My mom would sit there and make sure we got our homework done. We got the food made. We'd all have dinner around the table together. Then we'd do something in the evening, uh, complete the homework, watch some television, Andy Griffiths or something. (laughs) And then we would go to bed. And the next morning we'd get up and do that again. A rhythm, a pattern 
that would go five days a week, five days a week. And then Saturday would come and my mom, who was a pretty strong personality, would have the work that we had to do, some chores for us. And my dad had this honey-do list. Now, my dad wasn't good at the honey-do list, just as I'm not. But he still had to do what, what, what his honey told him he had to do. And so we did those chores. Some of you are nodding with that. So we, we got the, that was a part of our work. We got that all done. And in the evening, I'll tell you, my mom made sure we got that homework completed. All of it was done so on Sunday... There was no work. We would go to church. The afternoon would be fun. We'd watch sports. We'd play horseshoes. We would do something together. It was completely different from the other. Life had a rhythm to it. That doesn't sound like most of our lives nowadays, does it? Life had this ongoing rhythm to it. And Sunday became for us this beautiful day of, of restoration. And really all of us enjoyed Monday. I'd go to Monday because I knew that I at least had all of the homework done. And, um, and, and my father and mother enjoyed the workplace too. And it seems like that time restored us and made it ready. But what's happened to that now in our day? Why is it that our work and all that we have to do seems to just consume our lives? And I've been asking about this all week and I've gotten so many different responses. Sometimes we talk about the breakdown of the family. So that it becomes very difficult. And many of you know that and experience that. Some have talked about um, global financial competition. That in our American workplace and, and corporations, that we have to compete now with this global economy and other places. Everybody works all the time, so we have to work all the time to keep up. And, and something connected that some people talk about, maybe it has to do with the financial downturn in our country where employers have to get more and more productivity out of fewer and fewer workers. And so some will say that uh, is that a part of it. A talk, some of you have talked to me about cultural issues that will say in our family, all of this work and our, our days off are different, so we can never get one day off together. I think one of the biggest things people pointed out is this thing. This... Um, it's called a phone. It used to be. But now it, people joyously say, it keeps us connected in every way so that we are never disconnected. So that the moment I think I can stop for a moment, in comes a new email. I've got to see what's on there. In pops in even a new Facebook message, a new text. It might be from John wanting me to do something today. I, you know, it's this thing. So that life goes on and on. And then we have no cultural breaks. It used to be there would be a day of the week where we wouldn't have our kids playing football or having to take them in for more training for soccer or ballet lessons. What happens is every day becomes the same. And if we ever stop, we think, what's, what's the use of all this? Except we don't stop long until, because another text or Facebook message pops in. Now, I'm just telling you, you're here with me, aren't you? I'm just telling you, as your senior pastor, this is not the way God created us to live. That's more amens than I've gotten in four and a half years. All right, what does God say about it then? I'll tell you, I can't address all the issues that so many of you have brought me about your workplace during this week. I cannot. They're, they're just too complex. I don't have all the wisdom for that. 
But I think I can give us something that will speak to each one of us. Because I believe that God has said in his word that he has created a foundational rhythm. We'll use that metaphor all through the time. A foundational rhythm to life. That if we can get that that foundational rhythm happening in our life, then um, the other pieces can take shape around them. And here, here it is. The foundational rhythm uh, is that God says six days. We are to identify what the work is he's given us, do it and complete it, and one day is to be wholly different. And I mean wholly different by both H-O-L-Y and W-H-O-L-L-Y. <laughs> the rhythm of God for the dance of life, I'll put it that way, the rhythm of God for the dance of life is six and one, six and one, six and one. Now, I did a whole message on this several years ago. You remember my series on the Maker's Instructions where I went through the Ten Commandments and I said that God gave these so that things would go well with us and I did a whole one on this command and I dealt with the controversy that has divided followers of Jesus about this for generations. I'm not going to go over that again today. Some of you may remember that my basic position is this. We can differ, I believe, on which day that day is that we take aside because Christians have often wrestled with that. My basic feeling is we can disagree about that and that's not at the core of the gospel and we can still be brothers and sisters about that. But the thing that I think is clearly given to us is that there is a rhythm each one of us needs to learn to follow. This rhythm of God. And I wonder if you agree with me. Well, I'm going to try to get you to. Okay, I want you to see that it's a God-established rhythm. A God-established rhythm. Uh, that God established when he created us in his image, a rhythm by which we are to live our lives. Because I wanted to say this because I am reminded every time I talk about this subject, I'm reminded of how hard it is for me to obey it. I get it re-anchored back in my life and then all of the things, the world's things, the values who are here, and I think my own inclination to bring more things in, gets me out of that rhythm. And then suddenly Chris will say, man, your blood pressure sure is up these days. And Tiffany, you see it too, don't you? Yes. She nodded. Yes. That's, that's, that's discouraging for me. But every time that that happens, every time that that happens, I come back to this text and see that God says, okay, get this rhythm in place. And it, it's something that is so helpful to me. Why do I believe it's a God-established rhythm? Because God modeled this rhythm himself. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. He worked six days. When he did it, he enjoyed it. He looked back and says, yeah, that's good. That, that's very good. But for one day out of seven, God stopped doing his work. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Now, I know it brings up huge questions. Um, how is it that a an omnipotent God rested. I've had children come to me and say, uh, Pastor, does that mean that God gets tired? I don't, think, I don't think so. But I think he knows that you and I do. And I think there's something more to this. That the very word, you're here, listen to me carefully here. Uh, this very word that God rested is more than just a person being tired and then needing to stop for a few moments. 
the whole notion of rest has to do with something deep within us that I think most of us have experienced. That opportunity that when we've accomplished something or done something, we need a moment to stop and look back at it and, and say, ah, oh, I didn't think that could happen. Almost like our little daughter, Heather, who one year made this, uh, or I think she was five years old, made this ornament. And we had it up on the tree, and a year later she stopped and looked at it and said, I don't think I could ever see anything so beautiful or make anything so beautiful. The ability to look back and know that there are things that we've done them that, that it's been good. It's like Jesus in John 4.34 where he said, My meat, my nourishment, my satisfaction is to do the will of the one who sent me, my Father. You know what I'm talking about? The ability to stop. And the rest has to do with the enjoyment, the, the reflection upon it, the opportunity to remember and to know it's good. See, God modeled that as a way for us to enjoy life. But beyond that, God then blessed one day of rest. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now there are two important words there. God, well God is important too, so that's the third word. But blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Blessed, the Hebrew word is wabarek. It has to do with this Almost always something God gives. A gift of grace and joy. We may not deserve it. It's a gift that God looks at us and loves us. And he wants to give us something that will bring joy to our lives. A gift of God's grace. It's a wonderful thing. A blessing. And the blessing was that one day is holy. Which simply means, in its root sense, um, it's Wakadesh in, in, in Hebrew. It simply means different from or other than or separate from the others. I don't know if you see what he's getting at. In this context, six days are characterized by something. Accomplishing and working and being fruitful. One day is to be different from that. One day you're deceased from that so that you can know God's blessing. Uh, bottom line, there's no blessing unless one day is holy. Does that make any sense to you? To me, it is just so clear that the work that God gives to us is a blessing, but there's no blessing unless one day is holy. So he blessed that day so that all of our lives can be a blessing. And then third, God then mandated, he commanded this rhythm in his foundational moral code, the Ten Commandments. It's found in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Let me show you a part of it again from Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. So, observe a Sabbath day, keeping it holy, as I talked about. As the Lord your God commanded you. So here it is. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And if there are people whose lives are under your control or authority, don't make them either. And then I love verse 15. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 
Now, do any of you remember that I said in the Ten Commandments series that God gave us his commands not to ruin our lives, but Deuteronomy 5.29, he gave us the commands so that it may go well with you. And then he, he underscores it again in verse 33. These commands, observe them so that you may live and prosper and, and even prolong your days. So, so, so that our Heavenly Father is saying to us, listen, there was a time even through my children where the effects of evil in the world, which was slavery, kept you from being able to really live and know my blessing. There was a time when, when God's people were slaves in Egypt and they couldn't keep they couldn't keep this. But he says, I used my power, my, my right hand and my outstretched arm, and I used it to set you free so that you could live again. How am I going to live, you say? He says, this is the way you live. Six days, enjoy your work, get it done. And on the seventh day, you are set free to enjoy the world that I have made. I love you. I want you to live well. I don't want you to waste your life by being consumed by your work. I want you to enjoy that work and to accomplish it. And the way that you can do it, get this rhythm into your life. Six days, six days and one. Six days and one. God established rhythm. Is that clear? Now, let's move to a second part. I'm calling it the parts of the rhythm. I wanted to come up with six, but I can only come up with four. So I don't know what we'll do with that in the music sense. And also, I want to say this about this part of the message. It is so simple and so obvious that you may say, he went to school all those years to come up with those obvious points. But I, I think we need, <laughs> I think sometimes we just need something really clear and obvious. So here they are. Part one. Identify the work that God gives you to do. Identify the work that God gives you to do. Take out a sheet of paper, take out your phone in the memo section, and just put it down. What is, you can't cease from the work unless you know what the work is. Uh, a, big, a big part of your work might be what you have in your employment. Write that down. But your work is not just what you're paid to do. There, there's other work as well. It could be that right now the work that you're doing is that task of looking for employment. Mark that down. And I'm telling you, I know my dad would say, put that honeydew list on there too, because that feels like work to me too. Put that down. Uh, again, it doesn't have to be paid. Students, put down the things that your teacher asks you to do that semester. University students, those syllabi that you have, Put it all right down there. Identify your work. Part two. Make a commitment to do the work. It just seems to me that people often think that the only part of the fourth commandment is to take one day to stop. But they don't go back to recognize that a part of the commandment is six days. You do that work. And, and, and it's a good thing. It's the whole message last week. Because God worked. So six days, know what it is. Make sure that you do it. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 draws upon this and helps us to understand how to go about it. Uh, he would say, when you go to your work, even if it is, it's, it's verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians 6. When you go to your work, even if your work is not enjoyable work or what you would choose to do. And he was talking about slave labor. 
when you go to the work, know that that day that you go to it, that that is not outside of God's control. So go there knowing that for whatever reason, God is sending you to that place. And on that day that you go to your work, you serve in that place as unto the Lord. You work in that place in a way that you want to place him. Do the very best work you can do. And I have this read Colossians chapter 4. He says, and while you're there, every moment of your life, you know, managing, stewarding our time, you be prayerful, asking God, now, how should I do my work and how might I represent you? You be watchful. In Colossians 4, there's a word that he uses, keep your eyes open and make the most of every opportunity. Colossians 4, verse 5. So that what Paul does is he takes it on and he says that work is not only a privilege, as in Genesis 1 and 2, but it's also a commandment. This is what you're supposed to do. So that we go working as if we are really serving the Lord because that's what we are doing in that place. Now, if you get that perspective, that even though you may have your eyes open for other places where you may work, but if that day that you go to your work, you're going to seek to represent and serve the Lord, it will change the workplace. It may not change your boss or the circumstances around you, but it will change you. So that's part two. Make sure that you have a commitment to do that work that you've identified in point one. Point three, do it all in six days. Mm-mm. Look at Deuteronomy 5.13 again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Do you see that second phrase? <laughs> Have you ever noticed it before? To me, that is perhaps the key to actually obeying this command and finding joy in it. But it's the, the phrase that's so often forgotten. Make sure you identify that work and develop a plan to get it done in six days. I love Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, so many parts of it I love. But one of the parts I thought about here is that section where Tevia, the father of the family, has been working all day and talking a lot too, and he comes home, and it's almost Sabbath. It's getting closer and closer, and he still hasn't gotten it all done. And Golda, his wife, who I think has some personality like my mom, she knows Tevye, and you know, he, he's been talking way too much, and he may not be ready for the Sabbath. Tevye, get your work done. And you find him having to do it, getting, you know, getting the cart, his, his milk cart uh, put away, and getting the milk cans put away, and getting that lame horse put away. <laughs> and he just gets it done at the end of six days. I, I feel the pressure of it happening. And then the beautiful section. The whole family, with all of their work done, gathers around the family table. Uh, they pray, they eat, and they sing. It's so beautiful. Can you imagine what would have happened if one of them had said, Well, you guys go ahead and go without me. I didn't get some of my emails answered. You go out and without me. I still have... No, no, this is, it's so important. Now, I really have gone to meddling at this point, haven't I? That we need to get it all done. And then point four, on that seventh day, cease the work. Shabbat, stop. Rest and enjoy. 
Again, this, uh, the word holy at its root means different from, separate from. It's not what's different. It's not that uh, on that one day we live to the Lord and the other days we live for ourselves. No. <laughs> Sometimes people have put it that way. This is the day that we live for the Lord. The other days, you know, we don't. That, uh, every day is to be lived to the Lord. We make the most of every opportunity. What is different is that the other days are characterized by work and this one is not. Do you see that? And in that day, then, we can just, enjoying it, ask him what he would have us to do. I'll tell you, this, this is the rhythm that God showed us as he created the world. This is the rhythm that he put in his moral code in the Ten Commandments. It really is suggested to us that if we'll develop that rhythm, six and one, six and one, that whatever the other days, six days throw at us, we'll be able to have the strength to handle it if one day will be different. It really teaches me that God built us to really enjoy accomplishing things and doing things. But we can only enjoy it if we dance the dance of life according to our Father's rhythm. All right, now I have a couple of questions that I'll end with. First one. Will you believe God? Uh, This is a serious question. Will you really believe what God says? That you and I will function best in every area of life when we make a commitment as much as we can by God's grace and his wisdom to establish a pattern of six and one. Uh, you know, my mom, my West Virginia mom that I refer to so much, she would talk about us preachers flapping our gums. <laughs> it means our mouth goes up and down. We have a lot of sound coming out, but nobody hears a word we say. I've been afraid of that with this message. I, I've always been afraid, yes, but, no, I can't do it. All week we've talked about it here in the church, and people keep saying, this is just too hard. You, this, how do we do this? Will you really believe God in your heart that if God says, I've made you for this, it will be better? It will be better. You'll be a better student. You'll be a better, best, better business person. Marva Dawn, in really a wonderful little book she wrote called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, tells a true story of a wagon trail trip that was taken from the East Coast all the way to Oregon. And as they started, a big dispute arose about the people. Some wanted to travel seven days every week. And another said, no, 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 we we're going to travel six days and stop one. And the dispute was so ferocious that they divided and went into two different groups. You know what happened? Uh, The group that went six and one got there days earlier with the people and the horses rested. Now, I imagine they only did it because they wanted to obey God. They didn't realize that, that things are really better when we obey God. That his commandments really are there so things will go well with us. So, so again, I've just got to say, do you really believe, God, that things will go well with you if you live the way he tells you to? I always told students, I said, students, do you think it's possible that you'll be a better student if you identify all your work, get it done, take one day away from it? Because students, you know what you do. You sit there and say, on, on, on the day, let's say your sixth day, oh man, I still have all this work to do, but I still have tomorrow. I'll do some of that tomorrow. And then every day becomes like every other day. You'll be a better student, I think, if you do it his way. 
And I think that's true of your business too. And, and the flip side is that I think you and I will suffer if we ignore God's pattern. Whether in the direction of being lazy or in the direction of being a workaholic. To those here obsessed with work, which is a direction that I contend toward, I'll just tell you, God will bless you more if you take a day to rest. Work is a wonderful thing, but it is a terrible slave master, and it's a worse God. And today I just declare to you, in the authority of God's word, you need to take one day to rest, and if you won't hear God saying it to you, someday you're going to hear your doctor saying it to you. And then it might be too late. It may be too late. That's my first question. I won't ask you to vote. Do you believe God? All right, two. I want you to enjoy your day of rest, will you? Because this day, this this seventh day, is to be a day of joy and refreshment. It's not to be a day of legalistic drudgery and rules and burden. I say this to some of you who've grown up in, in homes like, like I did, or my, my wife grew up in a Dutch home, and we have some Dutch folks here. And this day was taken very seriously. Chris, you're up there, aren't you? Good. You could hold a ball on, on Sunday, but you couldn't bounce it. They could walk <laughs> through the cemetery, but not through a park. Uh, And I'm sure that was considered to be something that would really honor God. And God appreciates obedience. But you need to know that that is not what God is talking about. I love Deuteronomy 5.15. Don't you know that I used all my power to rescue you out of slavery? Uh, So you observe it so that you can live well. Observe it so that you can live well. uh, Jesus would say it when he was being criticized. He said, don't you know that the Sabbath was created to bring blessing to human beings, not the other way around. We weren't created for the Sabbath. So I want you to enjoy it. Now, let me ask you something, just for your consideration. Do you think it's possible that when I identify what my work is, that I cease from, that it might be different from what you identify? So that what I cease from might be different from what you cease from? You know, my work is mostly with my head and with my mouth, right? (laughs) So how do I cease from that mouth part? We'll just have to see. Um, But all of this means that maybe there are times where I go and get my fingers dirty that really doesn't work to me. I'm not sure about this one. I'm, I'm becoming more and more sure that I think that our Sabbaths might look a little bit different. But I want yours to bring you joy because I know that's what your father created it for. Then my third question, will this be easy? Remembering that this is not one of the ten suggestions, but a commandment. And I'll tell you, in this world we have these three enemies. The world and its system, our culture, the flesh, our own human inclinations, and the devil, who war against God's ways in our lives. And I just will tell you that there will be a war against this one. There are certain times in our world in which things happen because of sin, that make obedience to something like this impossible. The people of Israel had a time where the sin of slavery kept them from being able to obey God here. But when he has set us free, 
We need to make a commitment to obey it. And it may be that there are systems, things in our world where to fulfill the work, to keep our employment, that, that it's like a slavery, that we can't find freedom. I just know that God understands that. But I am telling you, where you have an opportunity to take steps in the direction of the obedience of this, life will start to flourish again. Um, and I especially have to just say a word to moms of young children and in our day to uh, stay-at-home fathers. It's almost impossible to know how to obey this. Our daughter, Heather, has three children, three years of age and under. She can't even find a place to get away, much less the whole day to get away. I've got to say a few things about that. At least I understand. I'm not exactly sure how to obey this command for you. I do know this that this time of your life that God has given you is perhaps his highest calling in life for us. Uh, The value of those children and the role of the family in dealing with children who are God's children, made in his image. And, And they're given to us as a stewardship. And this privilege as parents of stewarding our young children is is a high and noble calling. But even a high and noble calling, maybe the highest and most noblest of all callings, can sometimes become a slavery to us. Uh, How do we find some place of of refreshment? Um, I think this is a place where in the ancient world, among the people of Israel, they had the same issues, you know. But the, the extended family was a big part of this. The extended family took care of one another. And different people within that larger family would step in so that the young mother or father at least had some break, some, some opportunity to have some time away and stop and rest. In our world, the United States here, in the nu- where the nuclear family is there, and often we're so far away from our families, and where our families are f- so fragmented and broken, and where we have so many here who are single parents, it becomes very, very difficult. You're, you, you're with me here, aren't you? Now, I'm just going to tell you something. These sorts of things happen in the biblical world too. And especially in the New Testament, this is where the church must learn to be a family. I don't care how big we get to be, we've got to get to know one another. Because a part of what the church always has done and and has to do is to make it possible for us as one another's to be able to obey God's commands. We, We do some small things here. It's why I love the nursery, where at least for a few moments... Uh, parents can leave their children and come in. And I think the only people who want me to preach longer and longer some Sundays are, are, are mothers and fathers of young children. <laughs> don't, don't you think? Don't you see it? It's why I love programs like our, uh, our, our teenage mops, moms of preschoolers, where at least there's one time where we can have a nursery and, and give folks a little bit of a break. And I love our mops program and our mom's next programs. Those are the kinds of things, but it's a place where we've got to get to know one another and try to help one another in this. Because I think that if even we take a few steps to to moving towards some times of rest within the life of responsibility God has given us, we'll be able to find some of God's shalom. Um, We may never be able to experience it perfectly here. Hebrews chapter 4 is one of the great chapters in the Bible. It says this rest that we're supposed to experience in this rhythm is really just pointing us toward heaven where I know we're going to be productive there too. But we will truly experience God's rest. So this longing for this is a longing for something that will happen perfectly in heaven. But I'll tell you, while we are here, 
Let us, as followers of Jesus and those committed to obeying our Father and His Word, make a recommitment to His rhythm of life. To encourage you, I just want to show you what what our Father says to us about this. I've been alluding to it all morning, but Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always so that it may go well with them and their children forever. And then just a few verses later. So walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and you may prosper and you may even prolong your days. How? Well, I'll tell you this morning, there is a foundational rhythm that our Father has built into us, each one of us, wherever we're from, wherever we are from, six and one, six and one. God says, observe a Sabbath day. I'm telling you, when we worked hard for six days, to have one day is both a relief and a joy. It's just what we need. To his glory. Amen. Amen. Praise be to him. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word. We confess that so often we have ignored it. Or we've taken it and made it into something legalistic that you never intended. Father, we bask in your love. We know that you bless us. And today we have heard that one of the great, great blessings that you give to us is the opportunity for our lives to be productive. We've been made in your image. But that we can have joy in that productivity when we stop and look at you and remember that all that we have and we are, you have made. And every opportunity we have comes from you. Father, continue to teach us how to obey your word so that we may experience your joy and your shalom to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.